Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Courage Conversation Show. I am your host, Ashley Easter. I'm the founder and executive director of Courage 365, and we have a great show planned for you tonight. We have a special guest named Karen Darkwater, and it's going to be such a powerful show. We're going to be talking about homeschooling, about how to do it safely, and some of the traps that parents can fall into um, that can make homeschooling unsafe. So this is a topic for people whether you are a homeschool graduate, homeschool student, um, parent, somebody who's thinking about homeschooling, we want to talk about how this can be done safely and how we can avoid um, any of the pitfalls and traps that people can fall into that make um, any decision potentially dangerous. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, if you know anybody who homeschools, on your social media page. I would encourage you to hit share on this right now. And if you're watching it through YouTube, you can just click that link at the top and put that into your social media because I really think this is gonna be helpful. It's gonna help keep families safer. It's gonna help keep children safer. So if you'll give this a reshare so other people can tune in and listen to this great information, um, we would be so thankful for that, and I really think you won't be sorry. All right, so let me read a quick bio from Karen real quickly. Um, Karen Darkwater is the Interim Executive Director of the Coalition for Responsible Home Education. They are the eldest, eldest child in a quiverful family of eight and were homeschooled K-12 through in the South. Karen co-founded CRHE in 2013 with several other homeschool alumni to raise awareness and combat educational deprivation and abuse of homeschool kids. CRHE conducts research and provides information and resources to homeschooling families, alumni, and anyone who wants to learn about homeschooling. They currently live in Berlin, Germany, and co-host the podcast with Christian Fundamentalist Impact on today's politics with Eve Ettinger <laughs> called uh, Kitchen Table Cult. So this is going to be a really important conversation. We'll be back right after this quick break. Hey, this is Ashley Easter, and I wanted to interject into this conversation to tell you about a product on the market that I think is going to be perfect for our survivor community. That product is called Call Me Go. Call Me Go is the world's first patented technological device that provides quick relief for anxiety, stress, and panic attacks. It combines three scientifically proven methods that activate the parasympathetic nervous system and calms the body. Comigo provides immediate relief and a sense of calm in just three minutes, provides confidence and allows you to stop fearing the next panic attack. It can be used anywhere due to its small size and discreet look, and it's completely drug-free and safe to use. And for our survivor community, Comigo has kindly offered us a promotional code where you can get $30 off. Just go to calmigo.com. That's C-A-L-M-I-G-O.com. When you reach the checkout, just put the word courage30. That's C O-U-R-A-G-E, the number three and the number zero, Courage30 in the coupon code section, and you will be eligible to get $30 off your Comigo. And of course, you can check out the show notes below this episode to click on a direct link right to the website. Hey, Karen, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So happy to have you on the show. And I know we actually connected, I don't know, was that two weeks ago, something like that, um, just as two executive directors of organizations helping people. And 
um, I was just like, oh my gosh, you have to come on the show. You have so much wisdom and knowledge and you have a passion for keeping people safe just like I do. And so this is going to be great. <laughs> I'm very excited. Oh, great. Awesome. So one thing that I just wanted to kind of kick things off with is there are a lot of different organizations that are out there that position themselves in a way that they say they're going to help homeschool children or homeschooling parents. And some of them are good. A lot of them, as we've run into in our own experiences growing up, I'm also a homeschool alumni, <laughs> they're not always that good. And so you decided to start an organization that was all about the safety and equipping parents and children so homeschooling can be responsible. So I know I read a little bit about this in the bio, but can you talk a little bit more about your organization? Yeah. Uh, so the Coalition for Responsible Home Education uh, started in 2013. It's the only organization founded and run by homeschool alumni advocating for homeschooled students. Mm. Um, and that's what separates us from organizations like HSLDA, uh, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, which is run by homeschool parents for homeschool parents and led by parental rights extremists. Mm -hmm. They do not care about the safety of homeschool children, only the complete and total authority of their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that was sort of the organization, the only organization that existed nationwide when I was homeschooled growing up. And all of the other alumni of us who started CRHC were also members of this organization or our, our parents were members rather and we realized that there is a complete discrepancy between mm. what we were promised as homeschooled students with regards to our education and what the reality was yeah and what we were promised was that we would be you know eons ahead of our peers and totally well educated and equipped to do literally everything and the reality was that was true for some of us, um, but a lot of us, and I know you're aware of this, uh, did not get that experience. And instead our educations were neglected or we were completely deprived of education. Um, and for those of us in Cooperful families and even some of us who weren't necessarily part of the Cooperful movement, but were still very conservative, a lot of that discrepancy fell on a gender line. Mm -hmm. So people who were assumed to be girls, for instance, were trained only to be wives and mothers and not have any skills that would help them survive adulthood outside of the home. And that's wrong. There's no, it's just wrong. That's it. It's, yeah. It shouldn't yeah. be that way. Um, and so a bunch of us found each other through blogging about our experiences and realized that we weren't alone. We were like, this really needs to change. How do we do it? So we started a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating the public about it because something that we realized as we were going through is that when we were talking to people who weren't homeschooled and didn't know a homeschooler except for us, they were like, well, obviously you're smart or you, you kind of get the two tropes of either like, well, you're super smart and talented or you were raised in the boonies with guns. And there is a wide 
vast spectrum between those two where most people fall. (laughs) And we were like, well, we need to fix this because we can't solve the problem if people don't know it's a problem and if people's only understanding of the problem is two very different stereotypes. Right. So we do research on homeschooling, which is, I'm sure we'll get into the complicatedness of research later, yeah. uh, but it's it's very complicated. Uh, and we create resources for homeschool alumni and homeschool parents. Uh, the resources for homeschool alumni are geared more towards, okay, so you graduated and now, graduated, air quotes, mm-hmm. and now what do you do? Uh, and then for homeschool parents, we're like, okay, so you want to homeschool your kid, you want to do it well. Here is how you make sure that you're doing the best that you can, because you can't, and I know we'll get into this in a minute too, but there is no set standard across the U.S. Yeah. for education for homeschoolers. So you can't always rely on your state's guidelines for homeschooling to tell you whether or not you're doing a good job, because in many, many cases that doesn't exist. So what we do is we write up guidelines of like, here are some benchmarks. Here's how you can think about your child's education in order to do it very well. Yeah. And then the other thing we do is we work with media and legislators and literally anyone else who wants to learn and wants to help. And we're for legislators, we have policy recommendations like here are things that work. Here is what responsible parents who are equipping their children well are already doing. Mm-hmm. And it's not an extra burden. Yeah. And for everyone else, we're just like, here's all of the information. Go have fun. Right, right. Oh, I think that's so important, all the work that you're doing. And I love how you distinguish yourself from a lot of the other organizations. And that is that this is actually homeschool alumni, graduates who... um are the ones who are are saying these are our experiences of being homeschooled. And some homeschooling students had a great experience. Those people's stories do exist. And so you're not saying that homeschooling must be done away with for everyone, as I'm sure you get painted <laughs> like that's what you do yeah. in, in the media a lot yep. of times, conservative media. Um, But it's more so like we need to look into the actual experiences of people coming through homeschooling curriculums, through homeschooling families and communities, and make sure that other children are getting quality educations in safe environments. And exactly, I think the downfall of many other organizations, not just in the homeschool realm, but a lot of times we tend to have organizations created by um, those in power um, versus those who have been powerless and having their mm-hmm. voices elevated in the movements. And I even think of um, what I've been learning about the autism community and how a lot of the organizations there were started by people who did not have autism, but had autistic children. And certainly those people deserve to have communities where they can have understanding with other parents. But it's not the same as having an organization with the lived experiences of people who actually have autism and what their yeah. wishes and desires are. And I look at that the same here in the homeschooling movement. Um, 
it is important for parents who are homeschooling their children to have support systems, but it's super important to elevate the voices of people who, again, were powerless in these movements um, to be able to talk about their experiences and add validity to maybe it was super easy on this mom or dad and they loved homeschooling because they just threw some books at you and didn't do anything. But what is the yeah. experience of the student there? You know, um, and so being able to hear those voices, center those voices, um, is something that I do think had long been missing from the conversation. And so I love that your organization focuses on that. And um, yeah, thank you so much for for bringing that up. And if anybody is listening to this and isn't familiar with the term quiverful, um. I also came from a quiverful styled family. And so I just want to quickly for anybody tuning in who hasn't heard that term, though, I think a lot of our audience is familiar. Basically, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that's really taken out of context in the book of Psalms about how children are like arrows in the mighty man's quiver. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And so basically the idea is for you to be a blessed man, you should try to have as many children as possible which are the arrows in your quiver and you shoot them out into the world to sink into different sectors of society, the home, the church, uh, schools, uh, politics, media. Isn't there two more? I don't know. Yeah. I don't I remember what they are though, but everything that you can places. think of. Yeah. All <laughs> of the they, pies. Just. Yes. Yes. And then they dominate the world through overpopulation with these messages of patriarchal ideals. Um, Anyway, so if you aren't familiar with that term, that's kind of what um, we were alluding to earlier. Just wanted to clear that up a little bit. Um, but later on in the show, I do want to talk about some tips for parents um, who want to create safe environments for their children while homeschooling. But I think before we can really talk about that, we have to talk about some of the dangers and some of the pitfalls. And so... I think probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with some of these stories, but there have been stories that have popped up in the media over the last, I would say, 10 years or so of really horrific abuse cases. And they've been linked very clearly to homeschooling movement. And um, a lot of these cases are more extreme than you generally hear, being chained to beds and, you know, deprived of food on purpose, just a lot of very torturous scenarios. And I guess what I want to ask you about is we know abuse happens in every environment. Um, and before we have people coming on and saying, well, abuse happens in public schools too. Yes, it does. But we're here to talk about our experiences today in homeschooling and the experiences of other homeschooled people. So that's what we're focusing on today. We're not saying it doesn't happen in other places, but it does seem like some of the more extreme cases often happen under the umbrella of homeschooling. And so my question to you is, abuse can happen anywhere, but there are some loopholes within the homeschooling movement across the country. And why would you say so many of these abuses go unchecked. What are those loopholes? What do we need to understand about what are the unique dangers to this particular movement? 
That is a great question. And there are so many answers to that question. Um, but I will start with the biggest, which is that in 48 states, if you are a convicted child abuser, you are still allowed to homeschool. Mm. Wow. And this happens frequently. Mm. Um, and I feel like there, you don't really need a, a lot of imagination to see how yeah. exactly that's bad. So I'm not going to get into a lot of that. But that's in 48 states. There are only two states in the U.S. word. That is not the case. And I don't remember what they are off the top of my head. Um, and the other, that's just like the first thing. Right. The other thing is that. That's a big one. That's very big one. That's sort of like the biggest. The biggest. Like if we were going yeah. to fix one thing and one thing only, it would be that. Like yeah. let's not let people who are convicted of child abuse homeschool their children because they will just continue to do it. Yes. Um, second to that is that, and it, this comes back to what I was saying earlier about homeschooling being regulated differently in every state. The requirements for homeschooling vary significantly. So in a lot of places, you don't have to notify the state that you're homeschooling. You can just withdraw your child or never send your child to school. And if a truancy officer comes up, you can just be like, well, I'm homeschooling and they can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, in places where you do have to notify the state, many states don't have any follow-up to that. Like it's a one-time letter of intent, nothing yeah. else. You don't have to resubmit. You don't have to have an assessment you don't have to show any paperwork vaccines aren't necessarily required mm -hmm. um so it is very and I, I could go on it's a very long list but it is very very easy for parents who are abusing their children to use homeschooling to hide that abuse mm -hmm. because there is nobody to follow up on uh in 2014, I believe, um, there was a study done in Connecticut that showed that there was a sign significant amount of people who'd had CPS called on them at least once before had withdrawn their kids from school. Mm. And, and these are like abuse cases. And what happens when you withdraw your child from school after CPS is called and there's no other action taken is if abuse is still occurring, mm -hmm. it continues to happen and there is nobody to follow up. And a lot of times also parents use homeschooling where if abuse is found, they withdraw their child. Right. So they don't have to deal with CPS and that just completely CPS has no authority after that because it was called in by the school. So, um, so then you have to have another report from a family member or a friend or neighbor right. or somebody to send them in again, which often doesn't happen because people are afraid of conflict. Right. And in other scenarios, there's such a thing as mandatory reporters, whereas in many states, people are not mandatory reporters 
unless they hold particular positions. I think there are maybe some states with exceptions to that where any adult is a mandatory reporter to certain mm-hmm. crimes. But in a lot of states, doctors are mandatory reporters, teachers are mandatory reporters. Um, and so if you aren't around mandatory reporters very much, yeah. Exactly. And that's that someone will report something. That was the other loophole I was gonna bring up was mandatory reporters are not like you there's no law requiring that homeschooled students have to see doctors or have to, you know, have checkups. And so if your parents are homeschooling and abusive, they simply aren't held to the same standards of care as mm-hmm. public school parents or traditionally school parents. So you don't get seen by a doctor. So you don't have that person to report. And there's just so many ways that homeschool kids fall through these cracks. And there are so many. And we can't even track all of them because not like we don't even have data requirements. Like parents don't even have to say that they're homeschooling. If they do, they don't even necessarily have to say like how many kids they're homeschooling or what their ages are. So there is just this huge swath of the population that is being isolated from anyone who could help. And abusive parents are actively using that to continue to abuse their children without getting caught. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I think um, all of those loopholes are shocking, but true. And um, I even know from my experience, I think we claimed something like religious exemption. Um, and so if, you know, I I don't recall everything, but I'm pretty sure we sent like one letter in and said, we're doing this. And I don't think even all my siblings were born at that time. And so I don't think those were checked in. And then um other systems often um overlap with these so i know that home births can be a really empowering choice for some women um and they can be a safe choice for some women um granted that you have the right support and midwives and all those types of things but there are some people in this movement who will do things like home births They'll do it in ways that are not safe. Um, And they'll also decide not to get documentation that their children even exist. And then on top of that, their children don't have to have that documentation because they're not going to some sort of a public school or private school. Um, And then also sometimes those families don't take them to the doctor or don't take them very often. And so, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about even your experiences running into students who um, maybe don't have like a birth certificate or don't have social security card. Um, what is that like when these children grow up and don't have those documents? Well, it's really funny that you laid out that situation because that is exactly my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born before my parents went hard to the right, but my siblings, my middle siblings, were unassisted home births, no documentation. My parents, by when I was like seven, mm-hmm. um, joined a cult, and in that cult, 
decided that doctors are literally practicing witchcraft. So we didn't see Gosh. <laughs> any doctors while I was growing up. Uh, and it wasn't until this year that my undocumented siblings got documentation. And this is not an uncommon thing. We see it a lot. We call this um, identification abuse. Mm. And it's what happens when, and it sometimes it happens when parents don't bother getting ID when the child mm. was born for whatever reason, or they do have ID and they aren't giving it to their child because mm. they want to control that child into adulthood. Got it. Um, so... The second one is trickier to deal with. The first one is mostly a long legal process, and it varies by state, but every state has a mechanism that you can apply for a delayed birth certificate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is just handled by some affidavits by people who are present at your birth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a longer court hearing um but it you mostly need you know someone to say that yes you were born on the day that you were born and i was there and i am willing to testify under oath to that right. effect and then even bureaucratic that machinations ensue because yeah. obviously you were born i mean right <laughs> so like um what why do we need proof of that um and what if that person is no longer living or can't be contacted or doesn't want to um, cooperate? And is that process have a monetary cost? It does. And it varies um, by right. state and situation. I know my parents lucked out and they found and, and you have to do it in the state and with the county that you were born in so if you don't know where you were born then that's a whole other oh wow set of problems wow yeah I don't know how common that aspect of it is right. I haven't heard anything but another level of complication sure. um but you you know my parents found a judge who was like oh there's four of you that need this stuff since you're all the same family I will just say yes you exist and kind of just like handled all that paperwork at mm -hmm. once but my my family got lucky with that um, mm -hmm. otherwise it can be an individual process and it's still this my parents started doing this in 2018 2019 okay. and it's taken until this year for everyone wow. to get their birth certificates mm -hmm. and social security numbers so they can get their you know driver's licenses and state wow. ids and whatnot wow it also doesn't help because usually in most cases again if you're not homeschooled and you don't have a birth certificate your school records or your medical records will show and will add to your proof but yeah. if you're isolated and homeschooled you don't have those so there's mm -hmm. more steps right that just vary depending on your state and county requirements yeah. to get through that so it's just a very complicated bureaucratic and not free process yeah. yeah if you do have documentation and your parents are withholding it and you 
for whatever reason, can't grab it from the lockbox or get your parents to give it to you some other way. You can request a duplicate or a copy from the county that you were born Mm -hmm. in. And there is another process for you to request a duplicate um, or supplemental. Like if you lost your social security card, you can replace another one. And that's also a bureaucratic process, but um, I don't know if it costs, I think like the first time is maybe free for Mm -hmm. your first lost social security. And after that is iffy. And then I think for requesting your birth certificates, it's like the filing fee plus whatever county fees. Got it. Um, So if you have those, it's easier because you don't have to go through the whole court process of proving that you exist. Um, But it's still bureaucratic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what I see highlighted here in our conversation so far is that it really is on a spectrum what abuse can look like and what loopholes are there. So we do have some of the cases that we see on the news with um, just some horrific, really torture types of treatments. And that that can happen. And there are loopholes that make it more likely for it to happen in an environment where children are isolated and not seen by mandatory reporters at school. Mm-hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, you may have other forms of emotional abuse, control, those types of things that don't leave bruises, but are keeping documents away from adult children to really start their lives. There could be lack of oversight with education or no education at all. Um, I know a problem that I ran into was I did really well in science, but then I found out the science books that I had were teaching a lot of things that were not true. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. that could be a thing that you're being given yep. history or science information that's inaccurate. Um, or parents can even be well-meaning, but not be equipped to perhaps teach their child higher math. Um, so it seems like it's a, a big spectrum of ways that there can be deficits. And it's not to say that there aren't deficits, loopholes, cracks that people can fall into in other systems. But um, because there's so little oversight, it seems like the homeschooling movement really has a lot of maybe additional ways that that can happen. Um, Absolutely. And it's harder to kind of catch those things because there may not be any oversight. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that's mm-hmm. something that we got a lot when we started was people were like, well, but like, why not focus on public schools? Public schools are bad. Why are you targeting homeschoolers? It's like, well, public schools already have oversight. There are already many, many organizations and resources and state and federal funding dedicated to ensuring that public school children have access to education, access to food, access to healthcare, access to counseling and mandatory reporters. Mm-hmm. And yes, kids still fall through the cracks and that's still bad. And public school students still are abused and they still get beaten and they still show up with bruises on their body. And all of that is terrible and awful. But they aren't as isolated and completely and entirely entirely cut off Mm -hmm. from social support like homeschoolers are and the reason that we're focusing on homeschoolers besides the fact that we ourselves were homeschooled is because 
there is nothing. Right. There is no state funding to ensure that homeschooled mm-hmm. students have access to the same things that public schooled students have. There is no one who can check up on homeschooled students to make sure that they're alive, which is why you see all of the horrific abuse mm-hmm. and death cases. Yeah. And yeah. there's just both of these problems exist simultaneously mm-hmm. and focusing on one does not mean the other does not exist and does not mean that the other shouldn't be solved. They right. are both problems that mm-hmm. should be solved. Right, at the same right. Time. It's like, don't shame people for talking about breast cancer, you know, and maybe not focusing on testicular cancer because their mom passed away because of breast cancer. Like, doesn't right. mean you're saying that testicular cancer doesn't exist or that brain cancer doesn't exist. It's like, this is something that I need to talk about. And Bring mm-hmm. that a step further. Maybe it's a type of cancer that doesn't have research and funding to help. You know, it it's, yep. doesn't invalidate other people's experience to talk about your own um, experiences. It yeah, they can exist together and both be true at <laughs> once. <laughs> My favorite thing to say that I actually do have on a T-shirt is multiple things can be true at the same time. <laughs> yes. It's a hard concept, I know. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's very good. And we are going to take a quick break and come back, but I want to talk a little bit about socialization, the big question that always comes up for homeschoolers. Uh, so everybody stay tuned. Make sure you give this uh, a share and we will be back in just a few minutes. Hey, this is Ashley Easter. And I wanted to interject into this conversation to tell you about a product on the market that I think is going to be perfect for our survivor community. That product is called Call Me Go. Call Me Go is the world's first patented technological device that provides quick relief for anxiety, stress, and panic attack. It combines three scientifically proven methods that activate the parasympathetic nervous system and calms the body. Call Me Go provides immediate relief and a sense of calm in just three minutes, provides confidence and allows you to stop fearing the next panic attack. It can be used anywhere due to its small size and discreet look, and it's completely drug-free and safe to use. And for our survivor community, Call Me Go has kindly offered us a promotional code where you can get $30 off. Just go to callmego.com. That's C-A-L-M. I-G-O.com. When you reach the checkout, just put the word Courage30. That's C-O-U-R-A-G-E, the number three and the number zero, Courage30, in the coupon code section, and you will be eligible to get $30 off your Comigo. And of course, you can check out the show notes below this episode to click on a direct link right to the website. Hey, everyone. We are back with... Uh, Karen Darkwater, and we are talking about homeschooling. Right now, we've been talking a bit about some of the dangers that can be found within homeschooling. And in a bit, we're going to talk about some ways that homeschooling parents can keep their children safe and do things in a way that are very ethical. But right now, we're going to talk about socialization. I know that was a huge topic um, when I was being homeschooled, that was always coming up. I remember people writing books about it. People always asked us questions about it. Um, but I want to talk about this because it's still a conversation that needs to be had. And I actually had an experience the other day. I was in a online conversation with a homeschool mom and they made some sort of like a, a TikTok, you know, Instagram reel kind of thing about like, 
socialization, that's not a problem for us. Look at our calendar. We have so many activities. Um, you know, I was never this busy when my kids were in public school. And I had a little bit of a conversation and it, it didn't really go anywhere. But one of the things that really came up for me is um, I think a lot of times when we talk about socialization of homeschooling students, parents are quick to say that's not an issue. And then they make false equivalencies. They say, well, they have a full schedule. They are playing soccer with other homeschool students or they are taking violin lessons with this person from the church. Or um, look, my child has started two home businesses before they were 16. Um, I know for myself, I was a high achieving homeschool student, not so much academically, but in performance. So, mm -hmm. you know, I sang in front of the church. I wrote a book and had it published with a small publishing company by the time I was 17. I graduated when I was 16. I had an international ministry where we sent scarves that we hand knitted all over the world to children in need. I had, um, let's see what else. I had a home de cake decorating business. I had a business where I was selling um, little goods that I had made. I had my own website and I had a blog where I wrote to 3,500 women about adherence to the patriarchy. And people could really easily look at all that and be like, see how socialized she is. And yet, when I got into the real world, when I kind of left that movement, there were so many cultural references I did not understand. There were so many things in the world that I had no idea existed or that I needed to understand how they worked. Um, there were a lot of conversations that were hard for me to have with peers um, because it was very difficult relating. And I realized for myself that being high achieving visually to other people and having a busy schedule doesn't mean I had well-rounded socialization. And I guess I, using this to kind of share my story example, but I know that you hear that all the time working in the organization that you work with. And so talk to me about what is quality socialization? Talk to me about maybe some of these false equivalents and is it really an issue still today? Or did was I sort of like the graduating class that, you know, it's no longer an issue anymore? Like that was just old school homeschooling. <laughs> I wish. No, it is definitely still a problem that we are having. And the reason is, and this is what I've gathered after being out for like 15 years, is when you're like, my parents did this thing where they were like, well, you don't need to make friends with kids your age because you're never going to work with people your age. You're going to work with people older than you or younger than you. And like my age group was just, people I would never interact with apparently like everyone <laughs> born in 91 is just written off like okay you'll never bump into people that were never born in your never birth not year. a single time in my life at all no certainly so, not the workplace <laughs> no definitely not so imagine my shock when my first job at 18 was with other 17 and 18 year olds and I had no clue what they're even talking about <clears throat> like I was 18 
and married. My coworkers were 18 and graduating high school and having their like fun summer before college. I was like trying to run a whole house. Yeah. Which these two experiences are not the same. No, no. Just, just saying, not even close. And they're talking about like all these TV shows and singers and whatever that I'd never heard of, had no idea. Like, what is prom? What is homecoming? Is there a difference between the two? Why does it matter who gets the crown on this thing and not on this thing? I don't, I still don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'll eventually figure that out. But my parents and the, the homeschool community I grew up in was like, well, you will, like, it's better for you to experience, you know, being able to relate to people across all age differences. And to some extent, yes, we should be able to interact with people across the age spectrum. However, this is very important, not to the exclusion of our own peer group, which is the group that we will be working with for most of our lives. Right, right. And the other thing, because I had a very active online social life growing up and I wrote a magazine and had a blog and <laughs> did all these really cool things. And I went and campaigned for people all over the Southeast and, yep. you know, had a very active social life. Mm -hmm. um, socializing with people who think exactly the same as you and your parents do doesn't count. Right. Like it, it fills that social need like on the Sims bar, but it's not the same as quality socialization. What I learned, and I didn't learn this until after I got divorced when I was 25 and moved to the Bay Area and started making friends with people mm -hmm. in person who didn't grow up homeschooled. Right. People who go to public school or private school or normal school interact with a lot of people every day who have wildly different experiences yeah and so they learn how to navigate social relationships with people who don't look and think and believe exactly the same thing they do yeah. and they learn how to have reasonable disagreements without it becoming a huge like salvation level friendship issue right yeah. And this is something I had to learn when I was 25. Yeah. Like most people learn this when they're teenagers. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I learned this well into early adulthood. And I felt so behind because I was like, I like figuring out how to navigate conflict when you're 25 and all of your other peers have already figured out that like one person not liking Harry Potter is not the end of the world. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it's fine, actually. It's yeah. okay. You will live. You can disagree yeah. on this thing. And it, it's not even just like I'm pulling Harry Potter out because it's easy, sure. but like it it can be anything. Like yeah. the way that I was raised to, to put like things that I was interested in mm. as like sort of a really important It's like level. your core identity almost. Exactly. Yeah. And to have someone who doesn't feel that way felt like an mm -hmm. attack on my identity. Right. Yeah. 
Like I like and Southern I had to gospel learn. music. And so that is who I am. I am Ashley Easter Southern gospel music. You know, it was well, right. it was at the it's, time, but like, yeah. was, you don't like Southern gospel? Like what? Who are you even? We like, can't be friends, know? obviously. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And that's like not how anyone else on the planet works. Like, right. Everyone else who's a, you know, decent at being social yeah. has figured out boundaries between self mm-hmm. and likes and other people and likes and realizing that likes mm-hmm. and hobbies and even like beliefs that aren't core to your identity, like trans yeah. people being valid, like you can get along if you don't right. agree on everything and right. you don't right. have to like shun the unbeliever because you listen to different right. kinds of music. Yeah. And I think they do that because, at least in my experience, pretty much everything was very black and white in that, like, it's good or bad. And so Mm -hmm. for you to, I think it can be hard to separate, like you said, what truly are core issues, like accepting people who um, maybe have a different gender identity than you. Like, that should be a core value. Exactly. But certain likes or dislikes green beans I don't like them that like that's not something to unfriend someone over exactly exactly Um, and it's that kind of level that when you're only exposed to people who align perfectly with your family's mm -hmm. values you don't ever get that experience of being friends despite differences or if you do it's a very limited experience like my parents had really fun thing that they did where they would like split my speech and debate club and like get kicked out of churches because churches didn't believe in faith healing the same way that my parents did and I figured out how to be friends with my friends even when our parents were not talking Mm -hmm. but on things that were different Mm -hmm. scale than that and when and it was also easy because on everything else they were exactly the same Right. But when I was interacting with people who came from different faith backgrounds, who had completely yeah. different life experiences, mm-hmm. who went to public school, like bridging those gaps mm-hmm. was something I had to figure out how to navigate. And it was very right. hard at first because I just didn't have the tools. And I had to spend a lot of time sitting down with myself and deconstructing that right or wrong, black mm-hmm. and white binary and realizing, okay, what are the things that really matter to me? And does this other extraneous stuff fit in it? Mm-hmm. No? Okay. Then I don't have to worry about that. But that was like right. a long and intentional process. Yeah, for sure. So I'm just kind of like boiling, trying to boil this down in my mind. So I think, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just kind of spitballing here. It seems like socialization um is not having friendships and knowing a variety of people socialization in a well-rounded way well that is maybe a part of it well-rounded socialization is giving you the opportunity to interact with different types of scenarios so you are well able as an adult to navigate relationships in a way that causes you to be functional in society Um, so you can reduce conflict so you can know how to negotiate, um, 
you know, with other people and set boundaries for yourself. And it's socialization, it seems to me, is less about, hey, I have 17 friends who all think the same as me, and we've never had any conflict that translates into the real world versus I have maybe five friends and all of them are different. And, you know, I learn how to, oh, that hurt somebody's feelings. I'm learning how to pull that back because I don't want to do that again. Or my feelings are hurt. How can I mend this relationship mm -hmm. or we're different? And so it's more like the functional skills that you learn versus just being busy and having people around you. It, exactly. There like is a difference between an echo chamber and socialization. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That, that's a really good way to put only, it. Yes. <laughs> only okay. seeing people like you is an echo chamber. Yes. That is not the same as socialization. Yes. That's really, really good. And then one question I had, and then I want to um, kind of fall, you know, finish up um, uh, before some of my last ones here. And it's just when you were talking about how at your first job, you couldn't relate to people your own age when they were talking about pop culture references, songs, celebrities, those types of things. I have heard many times parents or non-homeschool people be like, oh, well, that stuff is just not important. And it's okay that you missed that. And it seems to me that that is overlooking that it's not it sounded to me, and I'm hoping you can expound on this, sounded to me not that it was so much that you hadn't heard of Beyonce before in particular, but it was more, it, it went deeper than that. Why, why does it feel, what does it feel like when you can't relate to your peers, even on yeah. quote unquote surfacey, doesn't matter stuff? Yeah, it's not so much that it's the specific thing. It's that it is a cultural touchstone. It is something that everyone in your generation can like knows happens. Right. And so it's really isolating when you like grow up, you know, like I grew up in the nineties. And so like Harry Potter was a huge thing growing yeah. up and I wasn't allowed to partake in it because it was evil and magic. Same. And so everyone I know <laughs> is talking about Harry Potter and it's less about, Harry Potter existing and me not being able to read it than it is about the fact that there is a cultural touchstone that everyone else in my generation knows and there is a shorthand and there are analogies and references that people make that yeah. I did not understand that meant stuff. Yeah. And I yeah. missed the meaning, not because it was a movie or a book. Right but because it was a cultural touchstone and removing right. access to cultural touchstones is so hugely isolating and damaging in a way that I, I like I learned about Prince when he died. Right. Which is really kind of messed up. Yeah. I think I and learned all of my friends he died too. were like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like every, every single time a celebrity dies, all of my homeschool friends are like, Oh, I'm just now learning about this person. Where have I been? It's like, exactly. right. Under a rock. Yeah. And it's it's really kind of like it's hard because on one hand, like we see all of our other peers mourning mm -hmm. the loss of a really cool artist. Right. And we have no like we can't even be sympathetic because we're like, right. Who? What? Who? who? Yeah. <laughs> what? Exactly. Yeah. It's more like the loss so, of connection 
versus the thing that you're connecting over. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Got it. Okay. That's really helpful. Well, we've talked most of the show about some of the pitfalls and some of the things to look out for. Um, But I kind of want to wrap things up with what are some markers of safe homeschooling environments? What does quality homeschooling choices look like? Because I know that we have people who maybe want to homeschool their kids for a variety of reasons. They're, you know, maybe they have a compromised immune system and it's not safe for them to be in, you know, a big public school setting all the time. Or maybe they have a learning disability and it's better for them to have tutors at home for them. You know, there's a lot of different reasons that are legitimate, healthy, and useful. But while I see sometimes parents start homeschooling with good intentions, not always, but a lot of times with good intentions, there's so much bad information out there. Like, what would you point to? What would you say are markers of safety, quality, home education? That is an excellent question. And something that uh, we spent a lot of time on at CRHE is developing a guide for home educators to help them answer that question. Because obviously, homeschooling at its best provides an individual style learning option to the betterment and empowerment of the child. Yeah. And my like the first thing that i always tell people is if you're homeschooling why what is your reason if you are homeschooling because you are doing so out of fear or out of a sense of needing to control your child don't do it that is only going to end bad because your motivation isn't in the right place if you are homeschooling because it is legitimately what is best for your child and i think we haven't seen a lot of evidence about this yet but given the way that florida and texas are moving i think if we don't see parents fleeing the state we're gonna see more parents homeschooling their queer kids because that's safer for them and that will Mm. keep their family together and that's fine and so if you're doing that again like you said people homeschool for good reasons and then it sort of falls apart because the information out there is terrible that was sort of the gateway drug for my family is a bunch Mm -hmm. of the mainstream curriculum is revisionist white nationalist christian supremacist bullshit for lack of a better term it is right right not worth it one thing that i just thought of that loops in from our last question um am i correct in understanding that a lot of times um when people started the homeschooling movement itself that it started because of fear of segregation ending in schools. And so there was sort of the white panic and pulling them out, putting them either in homeschool or private school. And so the the fear yeah, and the that is definitely a big part of it. Of mm-hmm. the beginnings of the movement. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the definitely a lot of the like founding leadership of mm-hmm. the movement. Um happened around the same time as desegregation Mm -hmm. and white supremacy is just sort of like the undercurrent of the modern homeschooling movement. And a lot of that is changing slowly, but 
we cannot erase and should not erase the impact that racism plays in homeschooling and it taking off. And second to that, Mm -hmm. also homeschooling and the moral majority and their attack on the Equal Mm -hmm. Rights Amendment and Roe are are very tightly linked yes um because you yeah. you know if you if you want to raise an army it's to bring jesus to the those u.s are. yes you got to do it through homeschooling because yeah. if your kids are exposed to other ideas they might not agree with yours exactly. which is the entire basis for the parental rights extremist movement right that we've been seeing with all of like all the anti-CRT and anti-LGBT laws are mm-hmm. coming from the parental rights extremists. Yeah. Michael Ferris is a huge force behind that, which yeah. is not shocking, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there is racism and misogyny are like the right. lovely core yeah. uh, of this, this problem that we have. Yeah. And so it yeah. seems like one of the qualities of safe, quality homeschooling is reckoning with the history of it and moving forward in a different direction do you think exactly mm-hmm. yeah and finding materials that are not written by revisionist historians mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. christian publishing houses so uh we have put together a very uh thorough guide on how to set a learning outcome for your student mm-hmm. what that will look like for each family is different yeah because um, every child has different needs obviously right. so if you have a child with a learning disability it's going to like the uh success markers are going to look different than a child without a learning disability for instance so we don't have like a your child must read by the age of 10 like right, even right. though that's a pretty good general rule yeah. we don't yeah. have anything that stringent but it's like Given your situation, here is how you can think about making sure that learning is progressing. Here mm-hmm. is how you can tell if you are falling short yeah. or if you need additional support. Here is how to build your own curriculum that is not written mm. by Christian nationalists. Yeah. Um, here are very like there are various kind of online programs and resources Mm -hmm. available now we have a whole page at least of resources on teaching your kids about race and not you know having whitewashed history of the civil Mm -hmm. war and like getting like we have a bunch of resources from black people and people of color on history and all of the things we have how to keep records well because not every state has record keeping requirements mm-hmm. and if your kid wants to go to college eventually you're going to need to have some kind of record yeah. and so we have a guide on how to create records and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to take the SAT every how many years it's like here right. is how you can do testing here is how you can build a portfolio here's how to build out a transcript um, because many states don't certify homeschool diplomas because homeschoolers aren't part of the school system. So getting a mm-hmm. diploma is a thing. There's also no one to check your diploma. So right. here is how like we have a literal template that is a mm-hmm. diploma template that you can print out and sign. And mm-hmm. most places will be like, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. And if you've been 
if you've been doing it well and you've been keeping your records and your child is, you know, mm-hmm. actually learning, yeah. then that is a valid diploma and you shouldn't be afraid to use it. Right. So we have, I will send you the link to it. It is a really okay. thorough guide on just how to do it well. We have an entire section on identifying your educational philosophy. We talk about okay. unschooling. We talk about all of the different, like, from, like, kind of very not strict. Uh, there's a word that I am completely blanking, but a more structure. That's the word. Sure, yeah. <laughs> from From a more structured approach to an unstructured approach, here are, like, sort of philosophies. Here's how yeah. you can use them. There's a lot of, there's obviously like a whole spectrum in between. So we have just basically a complete guide for homeschool parents who want to do this well. And if you have any questions about anything in that guide, please feel free to reach out and we will happily work with you to explain or make it easier to understand or whatever it is that you need. That's wonderful. And I definitely want to include those links. Um, so please, uh, by the time everybody's listening, we'll have the links um, uh, be, to be able to share those below because that sounds really useful. And like we talked about in the beginning of the show, um, there are so many resources created by homeschooling parents with agendas for homeschooling parents. But ultimately at its core, homeschooling, if you choose to do that, should be for the empowerment, betterment, of your student. So let's talk to an organization who's compiled things by homeschool students um, that they trust and know would have been or or is helpful in their homeschooling journey, maybe with children that they have um, moving forward, they may choose to homeschool. Um, yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And I really want everybody to check out that resource for sure. And I guess I'll just have two last questions for you. One is just a quick one. This is what we ask all of our guests. And it is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? It could be a line or a phrase or just a concept that you like, wow, this just kind of showed up in my life and it's really made a difference. Yeah. Okay. So um, this was framed to me as a very, like, questioning my gender experience piece of advice but I think it can be extended more broadly so before I started um HRT I was like am I trans enough and this is a question that a lot of trans people ask it's also a question that like people just ask am I whatever enough yeah and the piece of advice that I got from my partner who's now my spouse was this if you are asking that question then yes Mm. you are like cis people don't ask that question or people who are already at whatever they don't ask that question because they don't have to ask that question so if you're asking that question yes you are you Mm -hmm. are enough whatever it is you are queer enough you are trans enough you are doing well enough at whatever it is you count oh that's beautiful thank you so much for that Oh, I love that. And I know people are going to want to find out more about you, about your organization. So talk to us about where they can um, find all that. Yeah. Um, So for the Coalition for Responsible Home Education, our main website is responsiblehomeschooling.org. Our 
sister website is our uh, homeschooling's invisible children database which catalogs all of the abuse and fatalities in homeschooling environments um, that we've been able to find so far and it's incomplete for obvious data collection reasons um, but that is hsinvisiblechildren.org and uh, CRHE's Twitter handle is at ResponsibleHS, and that's where we are most of the time. We're also on Facebook at Responsible Homeschooling, and I think also Instagram. Yeah. And then I am on Twitter at Blue Pup Boy with an I at the end, and I'm on Instagram as MX Darkwater. Awesome. Ah, oh, thank you so much. I know everybody's going to want to check out your work. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being with us, um, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And everybody, make sure you also check out our social media. We have Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. We'd love to have you follow there. Again, please go ahead and share this show because whether you need it specifically or whether you have somebody on your friend's page. I mean, we all have somebody on our friend's page who's homeschooling, thinking of homeschooling, or maybe as a homeschool alumni who needs some validation. And um, their organization is going to be super helpful for finding resources, not only for parents thinking of homeschooling, but also for students who are like, okay, now what? This didn't go as I had hoped. Uh, what can I do to um, elevate myself? So that's going to be really important. And then you can also hop on over to our website. You can just go to courage365.org. And just for being a guest on our website, you can download this free ebook called Five Keys to Living a Life of Courage. This will help you take your next most courageous steps in your healing journey. It's completely free, our gift to you. And while you're at the website, there's a variety of things you can check out there. We have the Need Help tab. Of course, if you are in imminent danger, please call Child Protective Services or call the police if that is applicable. But for other resources, we have a whole resource page on our Need Help section on the website. We also have the backlog of all of our uh, seasons of the Courage Conversation so Show, so I'd invite you to check that out. And then we actually have a really cool thing um, that I hope that you've signed up for. This is the Courage Clubs. These are online peer support groups for adult survivors of abuse. We talk about a variety of different topics related to healing with resources. It's a great way to get uh, plugged in with other survivors who get it. It's led by a survivor. Um, other survivors are there and it's just a great online community building place. We host Courage Clubs once a month, the first Wednesday of every month. So this is going to be coming up very soon. And all you have to do, it's completely free, is register to join. So you can get the link um, so you can join the, the video group. And you can just go to courage365.org slash clubs or courage365.org and you'll see the tab there at the top. One last thing I want to remind you about is we have morning text messages, daily morning text messages. These are empowering, encouraging text messages created by survivors for survivors to kind of get you that shot in the arm in the morning of courage to help you get through your day. We've had so much wonderful feedback from people saying that this has really helped them. And if we've ever missed a day, which doesn't happen often, but on occasion, we have people message us and say, where is our morning text? We need this. And so we are happy to provide this for you. Again, it's completely free from us. All you have to do is take out your phone with me. And at the top part there in the two, uh, you're going to type out this number and it is 
1-909-809-7311. Pull out your phone. Okay, get ready. I'm gonna give you the number one more time. That is 1-917-809-7311. And then in the message area at the bottom, just type the word courage, just courage, just one word. Hit submit. When you do that, you'll be automatically added to our morning text message list. You will not get texts from other survivors. It'll simply be from us. Um, if you have any questions and want to reach out, that's also a great way to connect with us. Um, but yeah, thank you everybody so much for tuning in today. This has been an amazing conversation. I love uh, hosting the show with so many wonderful guests. Hope you all have a good week and live with courage.